tool player a man that can go any direction you want to go with the phenomenon he doesn't have a vector so what's up i'm your host dj along with the co-conspirator of this joint my man monet nathan <laughs> what's up everybody good to uh, be here this evening man monday kicking off the week with a little exciting conversation all about it looking forward to it about to get real and guess what fresh off the symposium she about to go back to another one in New York City and make her presence felt. Put your hands together for a study of UAPs, the mental health professional. Debs. Hi, everyone. Happy Monday. What's up, yes. Deb? I'm yes. excited. Yes, right? me too. <laughs> I, can, I can tell DJ. DJ's got the exciting shirt and the excitement in his voice, and I love it. Yeah, it's about to get real party people because... Again, like I said, uh, if we were using a baseball metaphor, we brought on a multi-tool player given to us by our homegirl in the chat, Miss Julie Farrell. One of his homies, she done took his class in RV to the D-O-double-G. Uh, this gentleman has a PhD in, I don't even know what he's got a PhD in, in being really smart about all this kind of stuff. So he's about to tell us we're going to get educated by my New York brother from... Another, put your hands together for Dr. Simeon Hein. Hey. Hey, guys. Hey, man. Hi, man. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> My Thanks man. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Good, good to be with us. Now, yeah, you're, you're, great to be here. Your PhD is in sociology. Is that right? Oh. It's in post hole digging. Post -hole digging. Oh, at least that's one of my former girlfriends used to say and i dug a lot of post holes for her uh but it's actually yes it is in sociology so awesome. that awesome. is correct and all of these topics that you guys are interested in that we're talking about more and more across the country i mean this is pure for me this is pure sociology what's real what isn't real what we don't talk about what we experience and still don't want to talk about and what mm -hmm. our government knows about and doesn't want to talk about it. I know that's sociology. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I heard your discussion with Dave Scott and, and hey, what's up? Linda Thompson in the house. We got a genuine yeah. legend. We got three legends. We got Dr. Simeon, we got Jules, and we got Linda. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> um, you're a New York brother, Dr. Hine, right? Yeah, I grew up in Manhattan and oh. uh, I thought you were from yeah, Westchester. I yeah, my parents moved out there, you know, after a while, the schools were thought to be better. So like a lot of people, they moved out to the Burbs in the 60s, and I spent a lot of my life there and then kind of came out west. But I, I, I've been back in New York recently. I was just back there a couple of weeks ago, and I even had an office on 26th, 24th and 6th Avenue in Chelsea until a few years ago. I had a, you know, shared office space there. So, Well, I, I'm from Peekskill. Can you give me a town where you went to school? 
Uh, I went to school in Greenberg, Edgemont, near White Plains. Okay. All right. Yeah. Wow. So South, you're very close to the city, you know, close to Yonkers right, right. and all that stuff. Okay. All right. Yes. Yeah. You're a little yes. bit south of me. Okay. Right north of Yonkers. Exactly right. Okay. See that, Nathan? No more Yonkers. My Yonkers. Baby. Absolutely. Master of geography. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm lost right. in Yonkers. So, <laughs> you got a problem with that guy? You got a problem with that guy? Yeah. <laughs> I'm walking here. Yeah. Sorry. I, I love it. I'm, you know, I'm a big, um, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, Dr. Hines' uh, advocacy for. I mean, I, first of all, I love the title of the book, "Dark Monsters Matter," and I have no Dark that. I really, I really. But, that's oh, right. I'm sorry, I got my that. favorite books. I got it all wrong. I like okay. your title. I like it. It's good. It's good. All right, Nathan, they do matter. Take it away. They do matter. <laughs> they do matter. Absolutely. No, I do love the title of the book, "Dark Matter Monsters." And uh, for those of our listeners who aren't as familiar with it, if you would uh, be willing to kind of give a little bit of a synopsis of it, I think that would be great. I think it's just a fascinating theory on on the phenomena what we're looking at here. Well, you know. Uh, Right after taking RV remote viewing back in the 90s, one of the, the targets that we viewed was crop circles. Hmm. And I didn't know. I, I was fresh out of graduate school. I had no idea what a crop circle was. So I felt like I should go over to the UK and see one of these for myself on a crop circle tour, which I did with a guy named Ron Russell from the Denver area who I happened to meet at a conference, uh, you know, right in the middle of RV in Denver. And he said, I give these tours and we don't know who's making them and you know what they mean and so forth. And I, I was really curious from doing my session and uh, watching other people do sessions. You don't, you know, you get your feedback, but what is this pattern in the week? So mm-hmm. I went over there and I immediately saw that lots of people had experienced strange things around crop circles, including battery failure, camera failure, orbs, space time distortions, and UAP, UAP you know, UFOs now called UAPs, mm-hmm. even some small ones floating over the circles, moving erratically, really strange stuff. And then I began to experience it myself with uh, Ron's tour group. And then later my tour groups, once I started giving tours over there, I mean, you'd go in there and people's cameras and batteries would stop working. Sometimes they'd never work again. And, you know, ordinarily wheat does not do that to your electronics. Okay. It's a kind of an insulator. <laughs> So that was something I've been looking at for a couple decades of what could explain why a crop circle, the shape or something about it could affect our electromagnetic uh, frequencies and create strange electronic effects, plus space time anomalies cause compasses to spin around. Even professional film crews, BBC would have it happen to their cameras. I mean, talking severe camera failure, sometimes you'd have to like reboot it put it away for a while well fast forward to more recently i was really surprised once i started talking to witnesses in the rocky mountain area that the similar things happened around bigfoot sasquatch cryptid encounters Hmm. and that some that i saw this cannot be an accident the same things that i described around crop circles when i went to some of these conferences in bailey and I did, you were talking about Igor a few moments ago, Igor Burtsev, a Russian researcher. I got to meet him and talk to him. And he's one of the people that really blew my mind out about the subject because he said, this is, we, I used to think there was some sort of undiscovered primate 
you know, like Gigantopithecus, even though in the U.S. there's not a single ape bone ever been found anywhere. Uh, Aside from Nathan walk- and myself, mm-hmm. do you mean? Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And th- those guys walked on all fours. And then he said, well, <laughs> I thought it was an undiscovered human. And then after all the stuff we saw around it, which he presented to us, he decided it was a paranormal being. A paranormal human. I guess so. What do you what do you think people experience? Some people, some Sasquatch encounters, battery failure, camera failure, <laughs> a memory loss, space-time distortions, car won't start, radio <laughs> dies. I said this can't be a coincidence. There has to be orbs, balls of light, orbs around Sasquatch, uh, Bigfoot coming out of balls of light, throwing balls of light at people, and then to top it all off. I had heard these presentations, but I never could quite make sense of it. UFOs right next to Sasquatch uh, sightings, sometimes seeing them coming out of UFOs. So I realized there was just some bigger underlying reality going on here. And and we were dealing with a very significant subject. Uh, Even other states of matter that we're not all that familiar with, but physicists talk about dark matter, dark energy, uh, cosmic background radiation, relic neutrinos, things that come from the cosmos that are used by plants and animals and so forth. And I finally kind of clicked that we were dealing with a type of dark matter life form, hence dark matter monsters, since some people have scary encounters <laughs> with them. And they seem kind of monster-like sometimes. They do. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm going to follow, follow up with that. Uh, one quick question then. So a lot of our physicists think that dark matter is, uh, you know, kind of comprises most of the matter in, in the known universe. Oh, yeah. So uh, if that's true, how crowded do you think our reality actually is uh, with these creatures and other, that's other phenomena? An excellent question. Very good. Yes, dark matter outmatters our normal, ordinary, visible matter 10 to 1, according to what we know. And the dark... Double dark theory, dark matter, which just a quick review, it seems to be the force that holds universes, uh, uh, galaxies together. Since there's not enough material in galaxies and they're rotating, they should fling apart, but they don't. Hmm. So even 100 years ago, cosmologists, Fritz Zwicky and others at the University of Chicago said there has to be more matter, but we can't see it. So they called it, you know, dunkel materia in German, uh, dark matter. And so the idea is there has to be more matter there, and it outnumbers ordinary matter by a huge factor. What we see around us, folks, visible matter is a half a percent of reality. There's a three to four percent of ordinary matter that's not visible, non-baryonic matter, as they call it. And then there's another 30 percent or so, you know, give or take a few percent of dark matter. dark matter and then there's like 70 percent dark energy which is an even more mysterious force that seems to push galaxies apart so nathan to go back to your question there's like 10 dark particles for every one particle that we can see around us and it's not just out there and this was a big realization to me a number of years ago doing research into this thinking this might have something to do with crop circles like maybe crop circles were lensing a type of energy acting like a waveguide. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, what type of energy would they be lensing? You know, light's really small. You wouldn't expect wheat to really affect the refraction of light because it's nanometers, but maybe dark matter, dark energy. And there is dark matter and dark energy around us all the time. 
even something that's just a small part of dark matter called relic neutrinos from the cosmic background radiation from the Big Bang, there's much more of that than there is ordinary matter. And it's streaming around the Earth. It's gravitationally uh, lensed and it, it, it condenses. And we're around that all the time. It's around the sun, the moon, the earth. It's attracted to gravitational objects. And it interacts with our cells, with molecules, chemistry, relative. So just the fact that there's something streaming in from the cosmos, like 10 million a second are interacting with your body, that could you know, be a catalyst for all types of energetic, paranormal, apparently paranormal realities that we normally don't have an explanation for. So to answer your question in a nutshell, that is exactly what I started thinking. If there's 10 times as many dark matter particles as ordinary particles, does that mean there's 10 times as much dark matter life mm -hmm. as ordinary life? It's just sort of a logical extension. Um, yeah, there's dark matter is something that we're just learning to understand and it's still the best theory to match all the data we have about the cosmos but the main point is it's not just way out there in the cosmos where the earth is interacting with dark energy there was a, a soviet now russian physicist alexander parkamov that wrote this whole book about it that in the english translation is called space earth human and he said you can focus it and lens it even enough to create cold fusion, low energy nuclear reactions that it matters to us. Wow. That dark matter matters to go back to your joke. Yeah. Dark <laughs> matter Nathan? matters. I, I hit this one. Nailed it. This is one zero it's, DJ. It's interacting <laughs> with life. And if you're inside, there's not as much dark matter. And they even find that some of these physics experiments, they start dying down until they open the window. And it's not because of oxygen coming in, it's because these particles kind of get used up and you need to refresh them again. So I'm convinced that there's types of life that are more dark matter based than ordinary you know, matter based that we're made of. And that it, they're very good at cloaking and invisibility and teleportation and things that dark matter seems to be very good at. I mean, I can elaborate on this as much as you want, but that's the gist of it. I think... There's, to sum up your question in a nutshell, I think there's a lot of life around us, but we're tuned to a very narrow range of frequencies with our senses. We know this. There's a huge range of frequencies in the electromagnetic spectrum, and they could exist through resonance at other frequencies, kind of like a tuning fork that's just tuned to a different frequency than our tuning fork. Mm. So we don't resonate with them all the time, and maybe they can shift into our reality, and sometimes we resonate with them. But this would, I mean, Igor Bortsev, going back to Igor, he was the one, I mean, I couldn't believe this. Here's someone that has a PhD, social science, political scientist, been studying Sasquatch for 50 years. He gave us numerous examples how they literally disappeared in front of witnesses' eyes, hmm. like a curtain of light coming down and they're gone. And he, he, he had the pictures and they had mapped out, you know, the whole areas where this happened. And he had the evidence. So yeah, things that can appear, disappear. It's so hard for us to believe with our modern mindset. But this is what witnesses tell us they experience. I, I actually, I, I have a, and I, I want to ask you about that, about the different sort of experiences people have had with Sasquatch, that some that, that do seem quite supernatural and some that don't, some yeah. that are, but before we get to that, um, what you were just talking about, about perception, 
about uh, that there are we're perceiving, and I, I heard you say this with Dave. Uh, is it Mr. Scott? Is it Dave Scott? Yeah, Space Dave. Star yeah, yeah. Great, Space Out Radio. Yeah, yeah. Great interview with Love Dave it. Scott, Love it. and and a lot of his his theory of disclosure and mine, at least at this point in time, are are pretty in sync. And you made a a, a pretty compelling debate against that, but. But what I want to ask you is, how do you think that these are, are these people chosen that perceive outside of that narrow band? Because right now, well, Nathan, I think, is expanding his. But right now I'm in this narrow band. Uh, I'm not perceiving. Do you think that that they are chosen? Do you think that they are self-developed? How how does that happen where where we have these individuals who are, in fact, able to 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 perceive outside of that narrow band? It does seem to me, based on all the work I've done with RV, remote viewing, and resonance, that some people have a broader bandwidth of perception than others. We've all been conditioned by this society we've grown up with, and you know, you and I, DJ, in New York State schools, they don't talk about this, and and you are discouraged, you know, from going off in any of these directions in high school. I remember very explicitly high school teachers just saying, you know. There's no evidence for this, no evidence for that. UFOs are just, you know, drunk alcoholics in rural areas and all, all this kind of, you know, these kind of just so explanations that Project Blue Book advanced. And people bought that hook, line and sinker, you know, because at least it was some explanation that people are seeing, you know, swamp gas and, you know, weather balloons and all the flocks of geese nice crystals and they're still using these explanations but not flocks as much. of seagulls we got to get that right Sorry. flocks of seagulls and yeah. blubber whatever you can come up with not to deal with what the witnesses say they're experiencing so i think what is going on and, and i'm not uh i'm not saying maybe people aren't chosen because it does seem this goes through lineages of families sometimes but from my experiences in sociology there's the sociologists there's some people that just do have a slightly broader bandwidth and maybe they don't edit out as much as other people. So they see things. But then we're all really discouraged from talking about it due to the stigma, which the UAP task force had on their first page. I, I loved it. You know, a lot of people were disappointed with the UAP task force report because it didn't really say too much. And it just said, well, we had 144 sightings recently. I don't know what their time frame was. We can all we can only explain one and we don't know what the rest is. But to me, the fact that they admitted that there's pressure and ridicule and hostility directed towards witnesses. And this could ruin your career, especially in the military. Well, that's pretty good enough reason right there why you don't hear about it. And so what seems to be going on is that everyone experiences this from time to time. I just found out, DJ, that even in Edgemont High School, the wrestling team saw a black triangle while on a wrestling match in Mamaroneck. Wow. And in the late 70s, and I knew the kids, I didn't hear about it from them because they said it was the scariest thing they'd ever seen hovering over a high gym. And uh, I only found out about it a couple of years ago. 40 years later, I find out that in my class, there was a sighting of the Hudson Valley Triangle in the late 70s, including jets chasing it on its way out. I, I interviewed Vinny, Vinny uh, the wrestling coach. It's on my YouTube channel. And we're going to do a follow-up. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it, people don't talk about these things. Where you and I grew up, DJ, there was the Hudson Valley UFO. And people, 
I've heard, I didn't hear about it until recently. I've interviewed witnesses and they didn't tell too many people because of the ridicule. Factor. So there's a newer I, movie called I the just Flash to, of Beauty. Yeah. I just want to interject one thing. I got about eight classmates who saw the, because I graduated 85. I've got eight classmates now because I had one on uh, my other podcast about two weeks ago that told me about his uh, a Black Triangle right over Indian Point. So yeah. I've got at least eight. If not more, he saw the he saw the one over Indian He's, Point. Uh, he well, no, the one that he saw was over Route Nine. Um, Route Nine, it was right outside of Route Nine, where Buchanan exactly. and Peekskill meet. But I yeah, had others yeah, that saw the Indian Point. Yeah. Wow. So you had others who saw that Indian Point. I mean, that was yes. seen by like thirty guards, and they almost started shooting at it. You would think this would make front page news. Uh, you're you're at a, a you know a nuclear facility that, by the way, that. The the there were four pl uh, power plants there. Do you know the one that it was over was the one that powered the NSA facility in Connecticut, Ooh. outside of Cheshire. Ooh. That's the one that it was hovering over, and they later found a crack in the concrete dome. Was it there signaling that there could have been a leak? Or, yeah, I mean it was there probably. I imagine it was saying, "Hey guys, pay attention. You could have a leak. Yes, <laughs> you're right in New York City." But yeah, yeah so. <laughs> These encounters happened all over Westchester, and there's that book by J. Allen Hynek and a couple other authors, Night Siege, yep, which has it. one encounter. I, now, I didn't hear about it growing up there. I mean, it was the 80s, and I had already gone off to college, but still, I'd come back. No one ever talked about it. So this is what the effect of social stigma is. The papers say, oh, it was a flight of Cessna. You know, even though those tend to have motors that make a little bit of noise, not be silent and do these flat turns and go straight up. And it's these BS explanations. And, you know, you and I, nobody took that seriously in our area. The police, you'd call them and they would say, well, we don't know. And there's who do you, who are you going to call Ghostbusters? I mean, so this is what so I let me give you one another aspect of this that goes even deeper than the social stigma. It's your own mind. In this newer Bigfoot movie called A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed. And just a fair yeah. disclosure, I'm going to be in the sequel called uh, The Paranormal Bigfoot, Flash of Beauty, Paranormal Bigfoot, just to get that out of the way. But I, I watched this first one before I knew the producers and the people who made it. And I liked the last half hour. Great overall, you know, witnesses, great. great photography. So yep. you've seen, yeah. I have. You should have those guys on the show at some point. But what in the last half hour, they have these psychiatrists and psychologists who say, not only will you not want to talk about it because of the social stigma <laughs> or PTSD, you won't remember it. Remember this? You won't remember it because it's too far out of the bounds of your mind, your physical brain saying, tilt, I'm checking out. I don't. There aren't supposed to be any 10 foot high escaped gorillas in Westchester. And yeah, people have seen them in Westchester. I mean, yes. so your brain just says, tilt, I'm going to forget about it. And so there's the stigma and then there's the level of just pure forgetting any of us or any of the li listeners or viewers of the show right now, you could have had a Sasquatch encounter there in every state. I don't remember having any encounters, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen because you might not remember it because it's too freaking weird. Yeah, no doubt. I got to turn it over to Debs. Uh, so uh, she doesn't beat me with a large stick. Uh, Debs, <laughs> please go ahead, ma'am. Yeah, I actually had the same question that Jesse Best has, which is how do we 
tune into this frequency to perceive the beings. And since you are a remote view, yeah, uh, viewer and a trainer and a, and a resident viewer, I thought maybe you could give us some tips on increasing that broadband, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, no, it's it, it's a good question. Yeah, because because going back to uh, DJ's question, are we chosen again? That could be possible, but some of us seem to be in the right place at the right time. But just before I answer your question directly, do you realize that in these encounters, some people don't see anything and other people do, or they can't agree on what they saw? Like some people will insist it looked like a giant cat on two legs and others will insist it looked like an ape. And then others will say, no, it looked like a caveman, a very hairy (laughs) cave. They cannot agree. And I don't know if it's because the Sasquatch can modulate their frequency and look, look different to different people or whether our brains, the way we process reality uh, makes it look different. But the way to start perceiving this, I think RV is one very good way because it teaches you to learn to tolerate the unknown while you're doing your RV session and not to insist on knowing the answer. So you start perceiving more subtle signals within your own awareness. It's really, uh, Deb, it's like a tolerance for the unknown, because a lot of times people will see things like this and they'll dismiss it or think it's something familiar until they look at the photos later and realize it wasn't what they thought it was. And I don't think it's just a screen memory or something like this. I think literally our brain wants to make it look, we know this from all the research in brain physiology, that your mind is constantly adapting everything to something familiar you're not even perceiving reality. Uh, it's like what you're, what we're all perceiving right now, anyone watching the show now or later, it's like about, from what I've read, about 10% of what's going on around you. Your brain is making up the other 90% like a JPEG compression algorithm to make it fit what it thinks is real. And this gets hardwired into us. They found this from studies at Harvard, uh, that uh, Jessica Langer, that it's hardwired into you by the time you're like one reality or one or two, but what you've been taught is real. You start not seeing things after a while. I think it gets worse as we get older just because we're so convinced we know what reality is, yeah, but we older, don't. The older we get, we, we feel we like we've, we know I've, I've met people that they've sort of decided everything. They have a position on everything. Exactly. And it's like, we all know people so like they're this. kind of done learning at that point. Uh, as far as screen yeah. memories, I could say, like, I, I feel I have screen memories. It seems like I started ordering windows last spring and I still don't have screens on my windows. So I, <laughs> I I'm struggling with that. And they no. told me there's another delay on, on my windows and screens, but so, anyway, <laughs> no, no. So, no, so to the, no, it's true. We have these, our perception and, and it's worse, actually worse than that. It's, we actually throw out our brains discard over 99.9% of the information that comes into our physical senses, just our physical senses. There's a great book called The User Illusion, which the our remote viewer, Ingo Swan, used to talk about to our neurotransmitters as the author. Ingo mentioned this book a number of times, and I came across it uh, quite a while back before I started hearing Ingo. He would come to our conferences, the Irva conferences. The point is, what we know is that the brain throws out almost everything that doesn't seem immediately relevant to your survival. So 
it, things could come across your perception and you won't have any memory of it because your brain discarded it. And that's almost all the information, like 99.9 .9 with a couple, you know, nines after it, decimal places. Then of that tiny fraction of a percent, your brain is matching that to fill in the colors and the shapes because it's a lot of work to perceive information from the outside. So your brain is doing its best to do what it thinks will help you, which is let's just approximate the rest, right? Like we have one pixel here, let's add in 10 pixels because it's more efficient that way. So we're not really seeing reality to begin with. So one thing that I did, I mean, one way to start seeing more, I went on one of these Bigfoot adventure weekends in Bailey in July, where you go out at night. We went there earlier in the day to some of these sites where the Bigfoot had been seen, gifting sites where people had, you know, the, the researchers leave puzzles out there or gifts and see if they're rearranged a couple of days later, really remote spots where I, I don't think anyone else is going way off the trail. And so you go out there and you're listening and you're watching. So it's sort of like this sensory training exercise. I think it takes some training and DJ, I think you're right. You know, we've all grown up a certain way and it's just very hard to get beyond what our minds think are there, myself included. We've all had this educational system that told us, oh, that's weird stuff. That's not real. That's paranormal or it's supernatural. And so we discard a lot of this and our society has a negative attitude towards these phenomena by and large, though it is changing. I mean, I think it's slowly changing. As soon as Congress gets involved, I mean, it could go any way, go any direction, but there's a lot of factors, but it's very good to do training exercise. I think RV is one good way. And you could probably think of a lot of other ways to start training your perception to perceive a broader range of frequencies. This stuff can be very subtle and the Sasquatch one more thing, they're very good at camouflaging themselves to look like boulders, tree stumps, or bushes. Uh, it's good enough that it'll be like passable, like not a perfect boulder or tree stump, but you might not notice it going by. You just, you know, you're not looking for it. You go and you look, that's kind of a weird tree stump, but it's good enough for them not to, you know, you won't see them and then you see the tree stump walking away. <laughs> all of their brain power is devoted towards this. I mean, the way that right. we have right. we have uh, uh, developed our brains to uh, technologize ourselves and our and our, exactly. our communities and our lifestyle. Theirs is simply devoted to how do I master the woods, keep from being seen, exactly. right. keep from being heard, or absolutely be heard when I want to scare somebody. Because they're getting yeah. too close to my family, unit, uh, yeah, and I right. want them to go back to their there car. There you go. So, there you so go. this is what I have for you. Um, I have heard of individuals. Uh, Rick Taylor was one that uh, when he went out in the in the forest with Arla Williams, and he's coming up on calling all beings. Uh, Rick, Richard Stewart Taylor, Rick, Rick Taylor from Texas, investigator. Right. And he uh, Arla said, uh, "Okay, turn on your your night vision." And he tried to turn it on, nothing. And then she said, try it again. He tries it again, nothing. And it's like, it won't come on. He knows he knows he put new batteries in it. And so then she says, okay, try it now. And he tries it, and it, it turns on. And we've also heard of other individuals where they've drained the batteries. And yet, I have heard first-person encounters with several, if not many, individuals who have been able to have their equipment work and, and get even a crappy film of Sasquatch. So what I'm asking you, 
Simeon, is what is it that do do you suppose that some of them have the ability to control your electronics, to control your cell phone, and some of them do not? No, it's a great question. There's so much variation in these Sasquatch encounters, right? And some of them really just do seem like flesh and blood. And people will say, no, it really was like an animal. You know, it was just a flesh and blood animal. I've spoken to these researchers. Other people have the other encounters that say, you know, it turned into blue mist right in front of my eyes. Yeah. And it, it, I, I interviewed a witness a couple of days ago, Barbara from a Smithsonian dig in the 1970s on China Lake Naval Weapons mm -hmm. Station. They had mm -hmm. permission to go on there. And it started feeling around the tent and was rubbing her face. She thought it was the other guy in the tent since he had a kind of a crush on her. And she you know, said, what are you doing, Luke? And he said, I'm just, I'm in, the, I'm in my sleeping bag. So they all ran out and they see something with glowing yellow eyes on a moonless night, eyes that emit uh, light. And their accounts of the Sasquatch being able to see infrared, which we don't know a single other animal. You can't see infrared from an infrared uh, right. sighting device or night vision. You don't see the infrared. I've been out many times with it. Night vision equipment. You can turn on the illuminator. <laughs> it's like from yeah, Ghostbusters. You, but that yeah. infrared illuminator, you'll see it through the night vision, but your eyes can't see it. But the Sasquatch can see it because people see them they have this extraordinary range of perception. So some of them do seem to have that ability. It seems to me deliberate because we know that they can talk telepathically into your mind. And it's quite a strange sounding voice, the way people describe it, like a muddy voice yeah. or a very sort of mechanical, like, or that's how your brain is translating it. So I'm, yeah, it, it, is it just because of their, sort of electromagnetic frequency that it's zapping our electronics or are they doing it deliberately because uh, so many times people go on to turn their porch light because they hear something walking on the porch and they had some sightings and they go oh, no are they on the porch and the light doesn't work <laughs> or you know the the phone doesn't work uh and then uh, there's so many so many variations on this but um you know, one thing to say about it for people that want these encounters, I think your attitude makes a big difference in your intention. People that seem to get contact with them in their neighborhoods who want this leave gifts for them outside. And there's this sort of gifting relationship where you leave things for them and they leave things for you. Or even Jules, who's, you know, a friend of this show in my in Dark Matter Monster, she gave me a, a story that she let me reprint where she was in great need of a plumbing wrench and she was yes. almost in tears. You've heard this. And it, it, it's not just, and then one shows up in the driveway a few minutes later out of nowhere. Folks, yeah. this happens to people. They have repaired car damage overnight that would have been expensive fiberglass bumpers. They can leave things that you need just at that moment. It's almost like they're telepathic. They, they know what you need. And if so, if you have, have a healthy relationship with them, people say that they're a very welcome part of the neighborhood. It's not always like that. We know of cases where it seems more hostile. They can steal your pets and livestock. And it, it, sometimes it seems very tragic for the people move because they get so many of their chickens and goats end up disappearing or being slaughtered. And so there's such a wide range of variations. But you know, just to go, the general question is to have contact I think you need to have a broader range of perception, but you need to have the intention that you want to 
meet with them. And I want to say one more thing. The group that did see them on the Bigfoot Adventure Weekend in Bailey, hosted by the Sasquatch Outpost, should say that, uh, they had a very good vocalist with them from L.A. And she was, she gave us, the next day she gave us a demonstration of the call that she made to them. She was a really good singer. And they responded to her uh, singing, which was very resonant and, and bell-like. So it's almost like a type of communication uh, that you have to be, you know, kind of to re- reciprocate and to re- interact with them. Some of them really do want to seem to have interaction with us. Uh, Ron Moorhead, Sierra Sounds, right? Mm-hmm. Going all gonna, the way back to the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. I was going to have Nathan sing Hungry Like the Wolf from Duran Duran when we do that one in <laughs> Alabama. But now you're making me rethink that maybe that's not the best song choice. So it's I, a great song. Yeah, <laughs> it's an excellent song. Well, yeah. So, Simeon, you've you touched on this already, but uh, just to kind of reiterate it a little bit, uh, it's it's quite popular now to talk about the nature of our reality is uh, not what we have traditionally thought it to be. Uh, our physics is certainly starting to explore those boundaries uh, and and find new frontiers of knowledge that uh, we thought were never going to be discovered, and and also kind of hinting that there's a lot more out there that we just really don't know. Um, and I just wondered, you know, with your uh, perspective on this and the, the, the coursework that, that you've done, the training with the remote viewing, uh, your encouragement to sort of broaden our perception, you know, how has this um, approach really affected you personally? And how have you seen it affect other people who have, you know, gone into this trying to, to take a broader view? Have you seen it change the way you look at the world and the way others, you know, operate within it? Uh, it's a really great question. All I can say, it's been a long, strange trip. And uh, uh, sorry, we had the lights just went out. I've never seen them do that before. That's very strange. Whoops. Okay. Bizarre. <laughs> this is like, it's a never ending process of learning and growth. And once you go down these paths, it's like a gateway drug to new realities. Even everyone who's taken RV that I know, well, not everyone, but many people that have taken RV, they start having new types of experiences. One woman who took my class from Estes Park saw a UFO just a week later at an intersection in Estes Park. She said there was a size of a VW uh, bug mm-hmm. glowing green a couple feet off the ground hovering wow. there. And she felt like the UFO target that we did in the class towards the end opened her up to that positive. She was afraid of these things before, but she felt that she transcended the fear by doing the RV session on a UFO. Mm-hmm. And she said, didn't think she would have had that experience in Estes Park where she lived for all her life unless she had done the RV session. And let, let's just take an historical example of it. Yuri Geller. Mm-hmm. He's the first test subject at Stanford Research Institute with Hal Putoff and Russell Tart back in the 70s. He comes over for six weeks, and the people that are working around him, he does uh, he does uh, PK, bends things, does some excellent RV work with Tart and Putoff, looks at things in boxes, all the stuff he's known for. But the strangest thing, and you can read about this in Jim Schnabel's book, Remote Viewers, one of the first books about remote viewing. People started seeing cryptids in their homes and around the lab things started falling out of the air what are called aports mm-hmm. things that people had been missing including i think it was uh either russell or how a lapel pin just fell out of the sky that had been missing for, they, 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 
Yuri said, what do you want me to do? And I think Russell said, well, I've been missing this lapel pin. It just kind of flew out of the sky. They found another one in an ice cream cone from ice cream they bought on the beach from an ice cream vendor. Weird stuff like that. So it's part and parcel of any of these phenomena that there's bleed through to other types of phenomena. I remember people back at Farsight Institute that said orbs came into the room while they were doing an ET type viewing target. And then people went home, ordinary people, and started seeing reptilians in their living rooms. It even progressed to the point of sexual encounters with extraterrestrials. That they were, you know, it's incredibly surprising when something like that happens. And seeing reptilians around. So it almost seems like once, let me put it this way. Once you remove the ordinary blinders that William Blake, the poet, wrote about that sort of the scales fall from our eyes. Mm-hmm. Whatever what does it for you, whether it's astral travel or RV or whatever practices, it seems to, op- you, once you start removing the scales from your eyes, it opens you up to a broader reality. So it's not like you need to learn to do something new. You need to learn to forget the untruths that keep you locked in a fake reality box. Mm. And I think we're all the same that way, myself included, because I went through, graduate school and you're very skeptical of things i was skeptical of all these topics for me to even look at the cryptid topic i had heard so many witnesses who had told me their stories over the years it didn't click until a couple of years ago until i said you know the orbs and the 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 crossover between that and crop circles i saw something that pulled me into it but i'd heard the encounters and i just thought it was one of these rare relic primates so it didn't really capture my attention. I didn't realize the paranormal aspect of it. So it's really a question of, it does change you, but you have to, I think it's a question of getting over fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. RV is a good way to do that because it's just for 10 or 20 minutes or an hour. You're just, you don't know what the target is until you're done. And you, you know, you'll be okay after the session, but you don't know what you're doing during the session. It's really a tolerance. I think it's what Leonardo da Vinci called supermato which is translated from Italian is going into the mist Mm. or tolerance of, of the unknown uncertainty tolerance. You you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because your brain and we're all conditioned like this. You, it just wants to take the easy way out and just say, Oh, that's a, this, or that's a, that, but maybe it isn't. I'm in a location right now in Laramie. When I was at a UFO conference here in the early two thousands, Steve Greer took us up to the McGuire ranch with 80 people, we had done his RV squared training a couple hours before where you do a meditation and you contact a ship and you send it coordinates and say, I'd like to meet you here later at this time. And you show them, a, you know, earth where you are and the, the whole thing. And I, I was skeptical of that. I thought, sure, 80 people are going to go out and we're going to see a UFO. But we did. Mm. A, wow. a really bright blue object came over slow, I'd say about a mile up. And then like a laser came out of it. I don't know how to describe it. I was thinking of it on the way driving here. I can't even today to this day describe what that light was. It seemed like a like a laser at a rock concert. I mean, it hit the ground. Mm. And I mean, I don't know any technology around 2000 that could do that. We didn't have drones back then. I mean, it was stunning. And that's the type of you it's a cumulative sort of thing. The more you experience of that, it erodes these common beliefs we have about reality that we all inherited from our parents and friends and school systems, especially New York school systems. I will say. I'm a little <laughs> prejudiced because it was so oriented towards turning into a doctor, a lawyer or yeah. something ordinary. 
And nobody wanted to go there with any of these topics, even though that freaking Hudson Valley UFO was flying right over Westchester. So it's, yeah, the, a, it's like the trail a of tears never happened, according to New York schools. <laughs> never happened. Yeah. Never happened. Forget about it. Forget about it. You know, just there's no such thing. These yeah. things don't exist. And that's what my high school teachers used to say. They go through this in five minutes. And there's no Bigfoot. There's no UFO. No Loch Ness Monster. And I realized they were wrong. I mean, part of my quest here was to prove my teachers wrong because I had had a sighting when I was 11 or 12 in the Everglades with my mom. She was a bird watcher. She goes down to Florida to the Everglades and we were in this swampy area and this huge thing was right over us. And I thought it was the moon. And eventually I said to mom, what's the moon? It's a strange looking moon. She goes, the moon's over there on the horizon. Wow. So it was that big, as big as a full moon over us. And it was hovering. And it, we put our binoculars up and there was a pattern of dots in the shape of a Z underneath it, close to a Z, like structure. So it was amorphous and structured. My 11-year-old mind didn't know what to do. And then it moved into a cloud. It just was stationary. And then it just started moving quickly into a cloud. And we told them, we went to a ranger. We went to our ranger talk that night as they have in National Park. And the first question the ranger asked, she said, did anyone see anything interesting today? And my mom, bold person that she is, still alive to this day. She said, yeah, we just saw a UFO. And the ranger said, that's interesting. Did anyone else see something today that they want to show? Like she glossed next. it over. And the, pe- and, next. Next. and the people sitting next to us on the bench, you know, those national park benches at the amphitheater, they had seen it too. So I saw from a young age that there was something else, you know. So it's a slow but necessary process of realizing that we're in a multiverse with other types of life forms. And we're used to being in this one, but that doesn't mean the life forms in those parallel realities. I and mean, this is what I personally believe. You don't have to agree with me, but this is what I think is going on. They can come from over there into ours. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're, and then they can go back and you won't see them, but they can show up for a while and kind of see if you're worth interacting with, you know, or do you even see them? Do you even notice them? Or do you run away in terror? Even at this thing with Steven grew up, McGuire, McGuire Ranch, I mean, that was pretty shocking. About half the group saw it. The other half was looking the other way. It was up there for about five or 10 seconds. It was, I felt pretty strange for a couple of days after that. You know, I'm kind of in this area. So, wow. Yeah. De- Debs. So I know that you have pondered the relic hominid theory and yeah, that's the yeah. pa- path that I'm going down right now. I'm looking a lot at um, little people uh, like, yeah, <clears throat> the pygmy people that still exist today and historically um you know some smaller people that we found the fossils of and the possibility that they're connected to goblins so i was wondering what your thoughts were on some of these other cryptids like dogman and goblins the pay great question yeah so the first time someone asked me about dogman it was matt hines on his uh encounters usa youtube channel and i thought are you kidding me dogman what is dog this, some man? sort of super superhero from a marvel movie you know i mean and i started i, I i'm a kind of well i'm reasonable i bought some books and i couldn't believe the encounters how similar they were you know they looks like a great uh, you know a german shepherd on two legs super muscular like a bodybuilder really scary does not have a nice look on it when it's mm. staring at you and it sometimes it chases cars onto the highway 
And like, you get the feeling like you're going to die if you don't get out of there pretty quick. So my feeling is, and I, I'm glad you asked that, Deb, because I've been thinking about this a lot. I think these are all real. I think these are absolutely real. And I'm going to go with the psychologist and flash of beauty on this one. We're forgetting about it. We're pushing it away. It causes PTSD. We know it does, especially these dogman encounters. And the little people, I mean, the Native Americans talked about the little people. They said those were the ones you had to watch out for. Bigfoot was a pushover compared to the little people. Uh, Drawing you into the woods. Yes, people have heard these birds that mimic their songs they were playing. I play out there in the dark with my guitar sometimes just to see if I can get a response. They like music. I mean, it's a good way to start off a relationship is with some songs. But no, Deb, I think I have to be honest. I think they are tons of different types of cryptids. They may be rare. Uh, Maybe Sasquatch is the most encountered one, but I've just read too many witness encounters now with dogmen, little people, even Thunderbirds. I've talked to witnesses who have told me they know people have seen the Thunderbirds up on the Crow Reservation in Montana. Because I, when I go around, I talk to people and I bring this subject up. And there are so many people who have experiences or know people who have had experiences. So my feeling about it is we're the ones that are too restricted and too narrow. I think these cryptids really literally exist. They may not always be in a physical reality form. They could morph into our reality. They could come out of a portal or a ball of light. But look, there are too many witness encounters. And it took myself to start reading books about it and watching videos and listening to the podcast that we all listen to, uh, Dave Scott's channel and so forth. And I'm listening. I'm saying this is so consistent. And these people don't even want to give their first name sometimes. They have nothing to benefit from making this up, and they seem really reluctant to share the story. This is what we call in sociology a hidden event. It's things that people are experiencing that they're not sharing, because again, because of stigma and ridicule. So I think there are many types of cryptids. I have never seen any that I remember consciously. But if you look at the accounts, there's the little people, the dogmen in some states, you see more of them. I even talked to a psychiatrist recently uh, Robert Schwartz, who's in Dark Matter Monsters, I, he, he wanted me to put this in. He encountered patients who had seen Dogman or Bigfoot uh, from mm-hmm. ki- since they were kids or during hunting, something like this. And he initially thought maybe they're delusional or schizophrenic. Nope. He gave them all the tests that psychiatrists have, and they were totally normal people. who had really, And he realized they had really seen this, and they just didn't want to share it with anyone. They were coming to him for help. So... He- it, these are all real, and maybe you'll get to experience one of them, hopefully in a positive way. Not all these encounters seem friendly, and I would hope that the ones that you encounter are positive. I don't know what's going on with some of these cryptids, where some of them are from, what they think about us. This is a real mystery. None of us really know what's going on here. Nobody. And I don't think we've had any help from the scientific community that wants to say you saw a bear. I'm not given to conspiracy theories a lot, but when people talk about that the 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 dog man and I've heard, I, I can't say that I've heard a lot of encounters of it, but I understand that there, I mean I've heard in conjunction with Bigfoot encounters that people that have also seen dog man and supposedly they're quite aggressive, uh, more so generally in general than than the the Bigfoots are, and. I actually would entertain the fact that maybe they try to hybridize something in a lab and and it and it escaped. I normally, you know, these guys will tell you I'm not I'm not 
I'm not a big conspiracy theorist because I feel like that once you dive into that hole, you're never going to get out. But it, I, I'm not sure that that's a natural creature, you know, or of, you know, that, that's, you know, ceased to evolve the way that, that Sasquatch I think is a different thing. And we're going to, my next question is going to be that, but do you think that that is something that was, uh, perhaps synthetically created in a laboratory environment? Uh, maybe not our laboratories. I don't know if we know how to do that, but perhaps extraterrestrial hybridization. I mean, there's a lot of types of extraterrestrials out there, and some of them may have come here to do experiments or to see what they could do with the biosphere and different species that are here. Uh, maybe this will come out over the course of our lives as a result of the types of disclosure we're starting to get around UFO, UAP topics. I mean, that would be a big one, but I think anyone listening right here would not be totally shocked to right. maybe learn that there's hybridization that's gone on. And that's maybe why we look the way we look compared to, we don't seem to look like any other species on the planet. I mean, there's different types of squirrels and different types of cats, but we, we sort of look different. I mean, why? And we don't even look remotely close to the other primates. So you start to have to wonder. So maybe, I don't know, I'm speculating here, but I would imagine dogman and I would imagine some of these creatures are indigenous. And this is sort of what I argue in Dark Matter Monsters. Any of the life forms that have been around on Earth for hundreds of thousands of years might have naturally acquired these what appear to be superpowers just because I believe it's built into nature, you know, cold fusion, right. low energy nuclear reaction. And I explain that in the book and it, it's, it's a large topic, but why this is how nature works. And it wouldn't be surprising if defense contractors are patenting some of these now that someone already didn't figure out how to cloak and tramp teleport and become invisible. And they don't want to show you how they do it. I mean, they like this ability they have vis-a-vis -vis us. So they're not showing us how they do it. And if we're just learning about these things now, I'm sure other species already know how to do it, just like there's electric eels and cuttlefish and octopus that can instantly camouflage. You know what I mean? So why wouldn't there be mammals that can do this too? But it's a really good question, DJ. I, my, I, and this is opinion. I feel that some of this, perhaps dogman, because they seem to have human characteristics and that of an unfriendly German shepherd for the most <laughs> part, and about six, eight be tall, uh, really good snarl, and really fierce-looking eyes. You're running. You're getting out of there pretty quick. Yeah. And they can appear, like, behind you, then they're in front of you. Like, really interesting stuff, like you'd see the Roadrunner do in the cartoons we used to watch in Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, just like that. Tink, 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 tink. You know, uh, just crazy. Uh, I'm wondering whether they're a type of hybridization of us, and canines I, I don't know I'd, I'd i'd really like to know and whoever knows is not talking very much about it the <laughs> other ones there's so many there are other types of cryptids too and maybe some of them are just natural and maybe they learned how to go into parallel realities uh when they want to go so they're in another version of earth that we don't see most of the time but then they say oh, let's go back to see when the humans are are at and you know pick up a few deer while we're there <laughs> It will get into, you know, at the end, I'm kind of kind of try to get your complete hypothesis on what you think Bigfoot is. I have a just a working hypothesis, nothing more than that, uh, but just an opinion. At, and, and I would say a marginally a marginally well-informed opinion at best. But um, first of all, I have two questions. One, are you going to play music tonight? 
um, play guitar? Or do we have to get buy you alcohol? No, I would have to set this up on the hood of my vehicle. I'm at a truck stop. Oh, all right. So, <laughs> yeah, this is perfect. We're at a week. This could be very honky tonkish. I uh, have my guitar in the back because I've been playing for friends on this whole trip all up and down the Northwest through Utah and everywhere. We've been having a lot of fun. So it's feasible if you gave me a minute to get the guitar. I know it's in tune because I was just playing last night for someone. <laughs> all right. Let me. Let, Maybe let me she'll post you. it on YouTube. Uh, it's possible. I could. I'm, I'm on an iPad right now. We could put it on the hood. And it's a truck stop. Who doesn't like finger picking American primitive guitar? Maybe I'll get some tips. Uh, but yeah, no, but let's go. I, I'm happy to do that at the end because I think we're in okay. uh, we're in open G tuning that's, from last night. Uh, this could work. This that's could work. a good idea. Uh, we'll have we'll I, have you take gotta, us out with music. Yeah. That's a good no. Idea. I got to say something to everyone right here. Sure. This cryptid topic is one of the biggest shocks of my life to realize how real it is. Mm-hmm. I have heard the stories from witnesses going back 15 years. It just didn't sink in. It kind of, even with me, it went one in, in your one in your one out the other. And I didn't know how to make sense of it. And I believed what I had heard from the people on late night shows that radio shows that we're all familiar with, you know, coast to coast and others. So it's just a relic primate. It's a very rare ape. And I sort of bought into that. And that meant I'm probably never going to see it. And it's just another type of rare animal and that it didn't really resonate, but to really realize, to see how many read, how many encounters to talk to witnesses. I even had it happen to a friend recently in Arizona where she didn't believe in it until she can't, she talked to me and then said, I'm, I'm not into that stuff. I mean, Simeon's into it. I told her I was writing the book six months ago. We hadn't seen each other in a while. We had taken RV together and she went back to her, her family's, remote you know vacation cabin in arizona she started seeing the tree structures she used to think that they were made by boy scouts though she never saw any boy scouts she couldn't understand what would make teepees right around the house (laughs) big trees across other trees with no sign how they got there like she thought the forest service was straightening trees like they were and strange smells at night like wet dogs or skunks but (laughs) It didn't Are smell you like predicting inter- my questions? He's predicting. <laughs> I am an RVer, you know. I'm a yeah, you're predicting my and, questions. You've done it two times already. Strange <laughs> howls at night that she couldn't. And she asked her parents, they said, oh, those are just normal forests. So she had dismissed it. Uh, but she came to talk to me in Boulder just so we'd catch up after a while. She went home thinking, you know, Simeon's just into this weird stuff. It's not my thing. And she called me, you know, she told me that. But then she started looking around. She started handling the tree structures. If you don't want attention from Sasquatch, do not touch their tree structures. Because she got the attention. They started approaching the cabin, the condo out there, and leaving big sticks against the back of the house, the condo. Mm -hmm. It was about 20 condos out by themselves in an area out there. And... uh, then she saw, she finally said, I'm never, she was almost too afraid to go back. She started going, she didn't tell me this until recently. She went back and she's looking out the window and she sees something really dark that was never there before. She's thinking it's a shadow or a bear until it stood up and she saw eyes looking at her 10 feet high or more. And it, it was like a movie. She, 
she couldn't handle it. It moved behind a tree and it's walking on two legs and it's moving behind another tree. She, she realized this is what Simeon was talking about. And it was, so it's that uh, she got in the vehicle and gunned it out of the garage without even locking the door, turning the lights out or taking her laptop. Think about it. It's like a movie. It was too <laughs> much to deal with. She said, mm, when they're looking lot, at man. you, we all need some preparation for this because when they're looking at you, and this is what Barbara said in the Smithsonian dig interview from last week to about two weeks ago, when they're staring at you, there's something very hypnotic about that stare. They're related to us in some way. We're cousins or something. And uh, they're just a lot bigger cousins, you know, <laughs> uh, they, it's something hypnotic and you, you sort of want to interact with them at one level. And yet the other level is over you is terrified. And the which one wins out is Ron, Ron Moorhead in the Sierra Sounds. The curiosity side of him went out and recorded years of the Sasquatch speak. You know, the, the beast, the reverse samurai, reverse samurai speech, them talking to each other. You know, those guys overcame their fear of it and interacted. They never had anything harmful happen. But some people, it's just too terrifying. So she ended up running out of there. And I'm wondering how many other people have been around this but not realized what is happening around their remote location because they're not trained to look at the, the signs. Mm. Let's talk about the signs real quick because that, that really was the crux of my question. Yeah. I think that there is probably people, you know, there's a cognitive dissonance when they're in the forest and something's being tossed at them and we all know that other than us, there's nothing that roams around the forest that can throw things. You know, bears don't throw things. Cougars don't throw things. Squirrels and deer don't throw things. But when rocks are, you know, landing on the path in front of you, I mean, there's a cognitive, hey, I, w I wonder what that is. What do you think yeah, it yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you yeah, think it right. is? You know, it's not Jimmy. You're hearing like and an 800-pound animal okay. that has decided that. But, but I want to get to structure. I want to ask you about these structures because – I think there's, again, I think that, that we have built certain mysteries into the creature that we kind of understand whether or not we want to understand them. They've shown some very human tendencies. They've lifted up children, taken them out of it. There was a, a couple of children. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, think it was in Ohio. One of them broke his back climbing a tree. The other one ran to get the mother, and Sasquatch lifted the child out of the tree and placed him on the ground at the base of the tree by the time his mother right. got there. A lot of stories um, like that where they rescue kids. Yes, of there, like there's several of those. But what I want to ask you, many. your hypothesis on, because I suppose that you've seen these on some of your your investigations, particularly maybe even the one you went on in Bailey, is when they they construct these structures in the woods that are, you, we, you talked about the trees that are that are put together in a certain pattern or that are bent over and wound together. Uh, some of these patterns, and I'm also told by some of the experts that it's not regional, that they'll, some of them are in Florida like that, in Alabama and Ohio and out west. And so I was going to ask you, have you done a dive or thought about what you think they mean? We don't, I don't know that any of us knows because they can't speak English and answer us. Uh, in that, although they they appear to understand English, which they, is strange they can enough. speak they can yes, speak English they can speak when they English. want to. They, they can, can yeah, right. they, can, they can say it's names. Passable English, passable English. They can. Yeah. You're right, but I mean yeah. they they're not. Yeah, yeah. I, know I don't what you're know saying. if they have the cognition to explain. We need. To you. We should get one yeah. around here and ask them right now. What are your yeah. tree structures? 
But what do you think that some of those mean? Are there any that you've been able to decode that you've seen, Simeon? I don't. This this is just, you know, again, ideas, possibilities. My friend from Arizona, when she started handling the tree structures, she felt like they were some sort of motion detector for humans to detect things walking around the area, that they were like an antenna structure. Personally, that resonates with me. I think we're all antenna structures. We're all antenna structures picking up various aspects of reality all the time anyway. That's what RV shows us. She felt like they didn't come closer till she started touching the tree structures, like they really knew she was around. And they can sort of perceive reality through those tree structures. Obviously, other researchers have thought there are ways of marking territory. It's like a pseudo house. But, but Directions home for the young ones? Yes, I've heard could, that could, one as well. It could, it, it could be something like that. Um, but the antenna structure, I like that. I like that because... <laughs> <laughs> I like the resonance idea. I, just because I personally like that idea. You like it. It could yeah. be all of the above. Yeah. But she felt like it was a sort of a mistake for her to handle the tree structures. The, hers looked like teepees built of sticks. And again, she initially thought it must have been Boy Scouts practicing something in the woods. But that's when they started coming closer and she felt like they really knew she was there. Or, if you know, they, they felt like a more comfortable to come closer. I mean, a lot of people would love to have contact like she had, would love to have gotten pictures and say, come on in the house. We've got dinner for you. We've got fresh venison here uncooked <laughs> and everything you like, apples and cookies, all the things they seem to peanut butter. They really seem to like that. But mm-hmm. um, some people would have said, please come over. I can't wait to meet you. I'll come out to you right now. We know people like that. Other hey, people Sim- stay Simi, Julie- away from me. Julie told me yeah. to bring tobacco, and I feel like that yeah. is cancer-causing. I feel like you should yes. counsel Julie on this. I don't, Jules, you know, <laughs> we don't want to harm this aspect. Folks, I have a petition <laughs> on change.org to protect, to give them some sort of federal recognition. Absolutely. I think that would be a good idea in the long run. It's, it's certainly very complex, but um, it's, it's a good question what those mean. I don't know exactly. Those are some of my ideas about it. All right. I, I have one question I'm going to ask Nathan. And, it's, and then I'm going to take it to Debs and then yourself. Nathan, um, I, I'm sure you've heard Wes Germer say this. I've heard some other, uh, some of the first person encounters say this. And they say, I hope, I want it to be this. Or I want it to be that. And, and I, I'm, I'm curious where you think that comes from that I want, as opposed to, I don't, I'm, I'm not so interested to know exactly what it is. I'm rooting for it to be something. Can you talk about that and then pass it to Debs? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I mean, usually when we say we want, it means we, 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 you know, we're trying to control something, you know, in some way, you know, I want, I want things to be a certain way and I want control of a certain situation. Um, or it's almost a, a kind of anxiety even, you know, things aren't this way. I want them to be this way. So there's a disconnect between how things are and how things, you know, should be. Um, so, I, you know, I look at that from the standpoint of a clarity of knowing, you know, I want it to be this because then that, that gives me this greater clarity of knowledge that I don't have right now. In, in knowledge, I feel more comfortable. You know, it, it, it fits within a paradigm that I can then navigate. Uh, 
if I don't understand it, if it remains elusive and mysterious, then it's outside of my capacity, you know, to really uh, be comfortable in because I don't know what it can do to me. I don't know what it's capable of, you know. Can can I re reform reformat that real quick? Sure. It's it's built around, and again, I'm going to take the same question to Deb and then to Simeon. Um, and 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 Wes is, says this is that I want it to be an ape. Like if if you want to tell me that I've had this hair tested, I've had this blood or stool sample test. We we have a lot of stools of this this creature, um, and it and that that it's part human or it's not in Gen Bank, etc. Um, when they say I want it to be an ape, is that an elitism? Where, where does that come from? That I want it to be an ape. It's funny. I th I'm thinking of the opposite. I don't think of it as elitism. I think it's. It almost is like I'm looking for something that will inspire me is what I'm getting from that. You know, like <laughs> I, what or, I get from that. <laughs> really? Because I get yeah. I get a different feeling from that. Like, okay. I think it's, it's okay. I I feel like I get, you know, like I, I want to believe in magic or I want to find the missing link or, you know, something amazing. I want to be amazed is what I get from that. I feel like you that's haven't heard Wes. I think that's why you're not <laughs> familiar with Wes, but Nathan is familiar with Wes and then pass it to Simeon. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I understand what you're saying there. You know, I want it to be an ape again. I think it's, um, you know, someone who says that from my perspective is wanting to categorize it as another animal yes. in this, in this old school dichotomy, animal, humans, animals, you know, like it, it's yes. this, you know, they're not within if they if they're if they become human or humanoid or human-like or sentient in the way that we understand sentience i mean we're, it's funny because a lot of these topics really i think expose these assumptions that we have held for so very long all of us were born into a world where these ideas have just been so pervasive and we're now we're now coming to a place where we're realizing well geez like everything that we've, we've said before isn't sentient conscious or, you know, any, on any sort of uh, tier that we're on. Well, actually a lot of things are, are operating in a similar tier and have a similar kind of intelligence that we have. And what does that do to the way in which we interact with life? Right. If, if we're now saying an octopus has a certain specialized intelligence, well, that changes our, our the way we're going to relate with that species. At least, you know, you would think that it would from an ethical standpoint. So, you know, it it it, it makes things way more complicated, and we really like things to be nice and tidy and clean and humanity, everything else. We have dominion over the rest of this world. All of these things are old school concepts that come from a lot of our religious mythologies, and you know, it's I think it's an interesting time that and and the, these subjects really do kind of open this up again and, and cause us to challenge our assumptions. Simeon, I'm not invested in what this is. Whatever that those DNA samples say is not going to make me feel either better or worse. It, it That overused phrase, it is what it is, actually is apropos in this situation. Oh, uh, yeah. But go ahead. Your your thoughts, sir, on uh, uh, well, I really want it to be an ape when you hear that. Yeah, that, that we've all, you know, just as Nathan was saying, we've all been brought up to believe we're the top dog on the planet. You know, we're the height of some creator's creation. We're as good as it gets. And and we've all been taught this by our religions and our science, that we're the apex predator, whatever we've been taught. It's not true. Okay. And 
it's very hard for our collective ego to accept that there's other species out there that are superior to us in, in many ways in terms of specific abilities. We all have a sense of security or insecurity from being part of a society anywhere on the planet. And this totally challenges the very fundamentals of what we think of as society. And some people find that very threatening. So the easiest way to deal with is to deny it, say it was a weather balloon or <laughs> it was, you know, it was a flying goose. It's <laughs> made by Lockheed, man. It's made. Yeah. It's that's the easiest way for the collective ego to deal with all this is to either deny it or denigrate the witnesses or then if it is, you can't then you got some photos like Patterson Gimlin for you could say, well, it's just an ape, but it isn't. Uh, it's not what the witnesses are describing. And it's very, professionals especially are very comfortable in their status in society. Nobody wants to admit they don't know what's going on. But what we learn in RV is you need to suspend your sense of judgment while you're doing your session until you get your feedback at the end. And that's what RV's greatest you know, benefit to people is, is that it teaches you to suspend judgment for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, however long your session is. We have to do that with some of these topics until we have more data. We don't have enough information yet to know exactly what we're dealing with. Somebody has it. We know the National Forest Service, various versions of the departments within the Forest Service regions have Sasquatch reporting forms. And really? I am sure, yes, it's in the flash of beauty. There's some displayed at the Sasquatch outpost in Bailey. Uh, photos of Sasquatch reporting forms. I'm sure Dave has talked about this on Space.Radio Radio, showing these sometimes. No, I've seen the forms and people who've worked there have taken pictures and even says at the bottom, uh, joke reports will not be put into the database. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they're serious. So they, why don't, you know, there's something dysfunctional about our society. We're not dealing with reality. It, it, it's our system. We just don't want to admit we're out of control. And what, when you meet this creature out in the woods, it doesn't matter what you've got with you. You're, you know, your most fearless hunting dog, your biggest weapon. It doesn't matter. It's you're going to feel really afraid. <laughs> your dog yes. is going to run away mm -hmm. or cower between you and your other person. And you're, you're going to be trembling so much. You wouldn't even be able to aim that gun even if you wanted to take a shot, uh, in many cases, it just seems to disappear in a flash of light or something when you do people, but people say they're trembling so much they couldn't even entertain the thought of lifting the weapon up. I mean, it's so humbling to be around something like this. I'm not recommending people do that. I'm saying some people have this fear reaction and they feel that somehow a firearm is going to protect them. And then they realize this is too big, too fast. And so the way we deal with things that are frightening like that is to sort of put them down and sometimes it can become racism you know it's just to put down things people that are different from us cultures it, it's a negative quality we have as humans but we, i think we need to take a, a broader approach here we have enough witnesses if we can have openness about ufos uap like we're starting to have thanks to the work of people who've been in the government and decided look enough is enough and the navy pilots come up we can do this with cryptids too it's not the end of us to admit that these uh, entities exist and I think we should have an intelligent way of dealing with this and talking about it and giving people advice what to do if you encounter these rather than just maintaining a cone of silence like exist. from doesn't exist. get smart 
you know, where you just have the cone of silence. It doesn't, you know, we don't know what's totally going on with this subject. And we, we need to know, are people disappearing out there because of these cryptids? I, I don't have the evidence of that directly, but some of these encounters seem kind of hostile from time to time. And are the Sasquatch getting tired of some of these people and say, okay, you're out of here. I don't know. I don't have evidence, but we do have people disappearing in national parks and, and we know about that subject. So is this related or not? I, I don't know for certain, but I think we should have an answer. It, it's the same thing, you know, Terry Lovelace, Instant in the Devil's Den, when I was talking with him before publishing Dark Matter Monsters, and he told me to put this in the book with his name. He said he had gotten a call from Department of Homeland Security. And they wanted to hear about his incident Devil's Den encounter with Toby, the other medic that was out with him that weekend in Arkansas. And they, after, he said they could have read the book, but they wanted to hear from him. They said, well, we're doing a criminal investigation on these sorts of events, on abductions. And Terry said, I didn't know the U.S. government had jurisdiction over extraterrestrials. And he said there was a silence on the other end of the phone. There was no answer. So they don't know what's going on either. They're not yeah. going to admit that to the American public. But, I mean, we're not kids anymore. We're, we're talking about this with UAP, uh, UFO. We should have a discussion of what's going on. A data. I'm a data guy. I mean, how, how many sightings are there? How many encounters? People should get, uh, you know, a positive response from coming forward with their. We shouldn't have people moving. People are moving from their homes when they have these Sasquatch encounters. As a friend, I was just telling you, they sold that place in Arizona because they didn't want to deal with it anymore. And you read about this in these encounters. People said, I didn't sign up for this when I bought the property. And they moved. And I, I think... I, yeah, I've heard of some that were quite violent uh, because yeah. uh, reportedly the prior property owner had shot and killed one. Oh, okay. And uh, the and the family, uh, the family that yeah. was left of that Sasquatch, absolutely. You're gonna uh, have some issues there. So one of the investigators said, "You bought that property really, really cheap." Uh, my recommendation to you, after researching, is you sell it really, really cheap and get out of there. Um, we have yeah, about, yeah. And, we don't. Yeah. We have about twelve minutes left. Nathan is up, and Simeon has to get his guitar. But yes, Nathan, go ahead, Let's sir. Let's do it. I'm ready awesome. to play. It's Excellent, yeah. Can't wait to hear it. Um, so I, I guess a question comes to my mind, thinking about dark matter, dark energy, mm -hmm. these percentages that we've talked about, are are humans the beings that are really the rare types of life? You know, are, are we restricted from interacting with the broader sort of span of life for a reason? You know, do you think that there's, a reason why we live in this tiny little reality bubble and and these things seem to have uh, the capability to access the whole spectrum. I, I don't think we have to be in a bubble anymore. Mm. I mean, we're having a show like this right now just shows that we're ready to have a broader discussion. Right now, it's just for this particular audience and people that enjoy this genre of podcasting and live streaming. But it, it could get, you know, the rest of society could catch on. And we see this on news shows. Now people are talking about UFOs and UAP topics all the time. And it comes up in newspapers and things. And I think it's mainly us that's imposing this on ourselves. We just have to decide we want to grow up. We don't want to be the little kids of the universe anymore. I think we're special as who we are for, you know, the way we are on the earth. And uh, I think 
we have a special, you know, I don't think there's anyone else quite like us around that I know about. But I don't think we have to be in this bubble. I think we could be interacting with other extraterrestrial species. We could be interacting with the cryptids. It, it's mainly a thing, you know, as long as we're shooting at them, I doubt we're going to have a good relationship with the ETs. <laughs> uh, people would do the same thing with ETs probably if they land in your backyard in a lot of places, right? So they don't, you know, when they're in physical form, they probably don't want to have a lot of buckshot coming at them. And I don't think the cryptids appreciate that either. So I think it takes both sides. We have to be more open to it. But I think the first step is to remove the censorship within our own society and start having open discussion and hearing from people who've had these encounters. I'm getting contacted a lot every day now by people because I've, you know, wrote Dark Matter Monsters. I've been on podcasts recently and shows. And people say, I want to share my experience with you. And um, it's fascinating. I mean, we don't haven't heard from these people before. Who, again, who do they talk to about this? If you call law enforcement, they'll say you saw a bear. Right. They, yes, they will. Fit anywhere. <laughs> and sometimes these cops are really afraid to deal with cryptids. They don't know what they are either. And they don't particularly like feeling that powerless feeling that you could feel around them. Something so big and so powerful and unknown. So <laughs> there's. It's like we're undeveloped for this territory, but I think we have each other. We have shows like this and we're talking about it. And I just think it's going to grow. And we, we need to officially recognize that this exists and find out what does the government know? What does science know? We can't just keep having everything in special access programs. I mean, uh, we, we know this has to end within the UFO area for us. Congress may have to subpoena people to find out We've heard about the Wilson Davis notes and so forth. I mean, how much of this is in in special access programs? And we're not having, we can't do this without public discussion. The system does not work. So we have to have, this, the place to start is to talk about it openly, get more. And you've had people like this on the show, people who've been in the government who say, okay, look, this is what's really going on. Uh, I was at the citizen hearing in 2013 in, in, in the National Press Club in D.C. And, the, you know, they had retired congressmen uh, and retired, retired Congress people and one senator. Uh, and the reason they were all retired, they couldn't get any sitting Congress people or senators to attend. They could only find retired ones and had to pay them. Mm. This is why they paid them, because they couldn't get anyone who was sitting because everyone right. thought like they told uh, Harry Reid. Like his staff, you saw those interviews with him. He said, my staff said, Harry, this might be bad for your career to talk. <laughs> and he said, I don't care. Okay, I'm going to talk because that's the type of guy he was. Like him or not, he was retirement eligible, baby. He said, um, tag with that. I'm trying, and, and that's what Bigelow said. Someone asked him on the 60 Minute Review what that would do. He said, I don't care. I yeah. think he was used stronger language than that. We need to get that attitude for more people to stop. The people are protecting their careers, thinking about the whole, you know, the rest of their life in their career. They, we need people to tell the truth about this. You know, so, it just I mean, can't be you. I agree with you. And I also agree with Dave Scott's position. Um, he, he used the exact, it's really weird. It's almost like I'm connected with Dave Scott. He used the same analogies with me as I used about COVID and toilet paper. And um, I think we're somewhere, the truth is somewhere in the middle. I, I, I don't think we're representative of everybody, but nonetheless, I think you should, if you can, bring out your axe. And Let's see if we can. Guys, hold on a second. I'm going to set up on the hood. Okay. This is this would be a great music video at a truck stop set up. Hold on. Yeah. Let me see if you we can, can make sing. this work. 
you could sing "I Love You Just the Way You Are" to the ETs. Do you know well, how Let's song. see. Let's see if we can do this. All right, one sec, guys. I'm gonna set up. <laughs> All right. The screen's um, gonna look a little weird. I'm gonna put the iPad on the hood. Yep. Uh, I mean, and and we're gonna set up and see if we got the right angle here. It's gonna look a little dark because I'm at the edge of a truck stop here in Laramie. One moment. It's gonna get the guitar. I love it in Laramie. That what it, this is a special moment on Calling All Beings. First time live music, Nathan. Live performance. I was oh, glad I, that. I was just going to say I was glad we talked about um, the sociology aspect because I think that's something that we're all trying to grapple with, like how to help society accept the fact that we may not understand our reality. So I'm glad that we have touched on some possible solutions today. Yeah, it's, it's really tough. I mean, the, the gap for me seems quite large. Um, you know, just just getting the initial admission that we have UFOs and we might be studying them, that's huge in and of itself to then get us from there to all of these other phenomenal experiences. I mean, it's it's quite a lot of ground to cover. I don't, I don't know how that's going to happen very smoothly. And most of right? America doesn't know that yet, doesn't know that that it's in our NDAA. They're not reading it like Dan Zetterstrom. Of course. And 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 internalize, and they don't even know that it's a thing. I right. people, and, and also, the, a thing I was going to bring up with you, Nathan and, and Deb, is what I love is very interesting, is people use this word. They say, I don't know if I believe in UFOs. I don't know if I believe in Bigfoot. And those, that, phraseology was something we would use for God or something believe in mm -hmm. it's like nobody's asking you to believe in UFOs or believe in you're not worshiping Bigfoot right or worshiping UFOs in this case we're just saying this exists not as saying I you need to believe in this right yeah that's a great point all right it's a weird thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, uh, party people, put your hands together for the guitar player, Dr. Simeon Hine. Can you can you hear anything? Oh, that sounds yes, great. Yes, sir. Can you see enough? Yeah, little ditty about Jack and Diane. Wait a second, let me get the light. I think I can okay. get the spotlight on. I got a, I got a. Flashlight and spotlight. This will look I love better. It. One second. The commitment. One I love second. It. One second. We gotta get this. We gotta get this right, guys. And this will be like a little bit of YouTube history here because we're gonna we're going to get some light so that you can actually see. Nice. The guitar. Yes. Jimmy and Hine live on guitar, baby. So Talking about is, uh, crash retrieval. Yes. This is uh, this is Spanish two-step by John Fahey. John Fahey was this uh, American finger-picking guitarist. He, he had a style called American Primitive. He inspired Leo Kaki and people like that who do finger-picking. That's the style I learned. This is Spanish two-step.
so beautiful yes oh one of the best moments ever on this show oh thank you absolute highlight yeah that was fantastic thank you you're Dad, welcome can i get an amen amen thank you for that light sound and frequency <laughs> thank you Debs. love you oh man that was great dr hein um one question i had yeah um I guess uh, final question. We'll say our goodbyes. We're sitting on nine twenty nine. Unless somebody has something burning, then we can get it in there. You've spoken to th- this is a quote from you with uh, my new friend Dave Scott, who I'm obviously channeling as we speak. Um, you've spoken with individuals involved with crash retrieval. Yeah, yeah, I have. I absolutely have. I have met someone, an engineer, who's at a conference a couple of years ago, who was one of the top electronics engineers in the country. And he told me flat out, he was approached by individuals from an unnamed organization with a large piece. He said it was curved. It appeared to be the hull of a craft. Based on the curvature, he thought it was about maybe 80 feet across. And they wanted to know how it worked. And someone like him, he would have known any electronics. He said, he looked at it under an electron scanning microscope. He said it was a thousand years ahead of anything that we have. Anything. He said he would have known. I mean, not even secret NSA stuff. He's way beyond. And he said it was made of isotopes that don't exist in our part of the galaxy. We don't have the right chemistry here to get those isotopes. Variations in how chemical you know, elements are put together. No, He said it was made with different numbers of uh, electrons than our elements have. Not neutrons, which is how we make isotopes, electrons. Mm -hmm. And then he said it was made in a zero-G environment. And that it it, it had to have been, he said he was 100% certain it was extraterrestrial material from a crash retrieval. And he said, it's so far beyond what we know. He, He described to me what, it looked like he said there were these very thin wires in it at nanometer scale that would get thicker or thinner and occasionally they'd wrap around a hexagonal structure and he got from this that it was interacting directly with the so-called quantum vacuum the Dirac C the kind of the fundamental level of reality where there's no particles there's just a potential for energy and it would actually affect the density of space-time it would, its propulsion was affecting the density of space-time directly. A wow. quantum technology said we don't have it, and he was certain. And he never wanted to talk about, even though he gave me his email and everything. I think 
based on who I hear talking right now in the UFO world, I think he may come forward at some point based on what I'm hearing from people that I know know him. So, uh, but his name hasn't come public yet. And I don't want to, you know, give him a hard time. And no. So I, I have, I but I think him. if people like him start coming forward, uh, we're going to make a lot of progress in this area because these are people with such a solid reputation. It would be a total shock, but necessary to realize it's real. That people like this are beyond dispute. This is real. These things come here. Sometimes they crash. Maybe they're shot down, whatever. But we have pieces of it. And uh, every once in a while, I guess it's the government comes up, brings it out of the basement and sees if our know-how has come forward enough that we could figure out what this is. Something like that. So, yeah, no, that was true. I met this person and I'm waiting for them to be in the news. I'm just looking every day. They're going to come forward uh, like we're hearing other people come forward. You've had many guests on the show recently, you know. So I'll tell you, yep. um, I, I'm in the um, my work. I'm in the aircraft business and I've talked about how aircraft are wired up. And I ran into an experiencer who I'm, whom I find very credible. Someone that Julie knows, and you probably know him as well, but I'm not going to say his name here um, on Twitter anyway. I, I'm not, I don't know his real name, but I wouldn't say his Twitter name. And he expressed to me that, um, that it's possible that the skin of these craft were used as waveguides to transfer yes, information. Exactly. And, exactly and right. yep. me knowing how aircraft are wired up today and how we use wire bundles and things like that, even you know the space shuttle and... And uh, probably Dragon X does the exact same, uses the same wiring methods we do. I find that really interesting as an evolution to the way that information and or electrons would flow through a craft via the skin being used as a waveguide. And when you talked about that in, in reference to crop circles, uh, it resonated yeah, yeah, with right. me. You can see um, there's some commonality between all of this. Yep. Uh, and no, no, there's common out crop circle to UFOs, probably even to cryptids in some way with some aspect of their biology that has waveguide like potential, yeah. something like that. And, and we'd see, wow, there's something common across all these different phenomena. So it's just like instruments, right? Waveguides, standing waves. It's all really the same. It's all really and, the same thing. And it's and all I, interacting with dark matter, too. So. I, I, I don't want you to put your guitar away, Dr. Hein, because I, I'd like you to take us out with music. But first, we have our, our, our goodbyes that we have to say. And so we'll start with Debs. Man, I feel like we could have talked for like 10 more hours. You got we so gotta much. We got to get him back again. <laughs> I know. You have so much. Like, I had so many more questions. And I really hope that, you know, you know, you come visit me through RVing anytime. We can chat that way if you like. But in the meantime, you know, please come back so we can get to some of those other topics. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And keep on asking questions. It's only going to get better. We got Nathan too, so we got a couple more goodbyes we got to get to. Yeah, I just uh, want to echo that. It's a, been a real pleasure speaking with you. I want to encourage folks to pick up the book, Dark Matter Monsters. Uh, it's on Amazon, so check that out. We've got the description of the link in the in the description. And I want to thank folks for joining us this evening. This has been an absolute treat uh, listening to this conversation and, and particularly you sharing your music with us so voluntarily. So looking forward to part two at some point. Absolutely. Me too. Thanks. Uh, happy to send people signed copies if you go to newcrystalmind.com, my blog. Nice. The top post is to get a signed copy. So. You are as cool as the other side of the pillow. 
Uh, you really are. Not only my New York brother, but you're just so cool, so smart, and so talented, Dr. Hine. Um, what I'd like to do today, in lieu of our standard cab outro, we'd like to uh, have you play for a solid minute, and then Nathan will take us out and end, end the broadcast there. Um, and uh, per I want to thank you. You're obviously uh, you're part of our show is this uh, lovely individual to my right, Julie Farrell, who's become our chat moderator and, uh, and your remote viewer. I suppose I need to Venmo you if she actually uh, finds me a good Sasquatch spot. So I'll make sure I get your Venmo. Um, but no, thank you. <laughs> Love you, Jules. And uh, with that, um, this is uh, DJ San Marco saying peace out. One love. We'll see you down the road. And as always, we're wondering what's up around the bend. Dr. Simeon Hine, and we'll take us out. This is another John Fahey original, uh, Sunny Side of the Ocean. See you later, folks. Have a good one.